It's, it's the, the cultural, cultural reset. We're your hosts, Emma and Tamara, and we're here today to talk to you about defunding the police and police brutality. Episode two. Here we go. I'm really excited. Okay, so I do want to address something that was an amazing point brought up by a listener. Do we say her name? I don't. We're not going to say your name. We're not going to say your name because, I don't know, we're, we're well, not. we said her name last time. Oh, that's true. Well, now they know who it is. <laughs> okay, anyway, so no wall. I just want to give her credit, honestly, because it was a very good point. So when she listened to episode one, she did say that um, she wanted to give us some background on something that we said. So we mentioned how a black person's standard of beauty is a white person's, while an Indian or Asian standards of beauty is from their own culture. And honestly, I feel like this was an oversight on our part, um, but we want to educate our, ourselves and the listeners at the same time. So what she's saying is that um, ever since the British had invaded India in the 1600s, the beauty standard in terms of skin tone and complexion changed drastically because white people invaded India and India has mostly dark skinned brown skinned people and because of that um, the culture changed to idealize white culture and white skin tone so um, many people in Asian culture and Indian culture have made their standard of beauty European as well and um, it's important to note that it sh- obviously it shouldn't be like that and we should be celebrating the differences in beauty and how beauty is not just found in one culture. But um, we want to thank Nawal for pointing that out to us because we love feedback and we love educating ourselves as well and it's a super important point she made. Thanks, Nawal. Thanks, Nawal. We appreciate you. So now we're going to answer some questions. So we did send out a little like ask me a question thing on the instagram we want you guys to please ask questions because that's so important and it allows us to communicate with you and talk with you and you'll be featured on the podcast so there's really only positives don't be scared to ask your question either um all questions are accepted and we're not gonna like attack you or anything we just want to hear what you guys have to say questions comments concerns Feedback, suggestions, stories, yeah. We love a story. That Mm -hmm. would be a fun time. That would be nice. We'll probably share our own stories eventually, but it's... (laughs) We'll see. All right. So, one question that I got from Pyle, who is our old friend in high school. I used to play basketball with her. Thanks, Pyle. She said, I understand the reasoning behind the call for defunding the police, but the call to action has pros and cons. Do you think for society as a whole, defunding the police would be beneficial? And what would that mean for the future of police departments in general? That's a good question. Yes. I think that there are a lot of pros and cons. The first time that Emma and I heard about defunding (laughs) the police was at a protest in Jersey City. Shout out to that protest. It was super amazing. It was phenomenal. But we were both a little shook. We were like, what do you mean defunding the police? 
not a good thing. Yeah, because of course we thought the most radical thing, which is like eliminating the police. Mm -hmm. And elimination and defunding are two different things, and we have come to educate ourselves on that and learn about that. Yeah. So after reading some articles and going to more protests and talking to people, I feel like defunding the police would be beneficial Mm -hmm. overall. And I think that for the future police departments, it's definitely going to be a radical change. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's radical, but I think most of America will think it's radical. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the police will have a very small presence in our lives and living in the suburbs or in a nicer area they already don't have a huge presence in our lives but in urban areas and in areas with a high black population that will definitely make a huge difference i think that uh, police departments will have less funding obviously but that would lead them to make more sustainable changes i would hope that's the goal right and i also think just for an example um which i had first heard about at the protest in jersey city was defunding the police in camden so back i believe i want to say it's 2012 um the city of camden decided to defund the police because they were experiencing high rates of violence um with police and their community so they did defund as in you know kind of look over their budget cut a lot of money and the state cut a lot of money to them and the city of camden itself didn't give as much money to the police department and allocated it towards other like community services so by doing that there has been improvement and it's shown and i will post statistics and stuff on the instagram and resources for you guys to look at that but um the relationship between the police and the community has de- like decreased in violence um, and they've seen really positive changes years later even. So Camden is kind of like a mini experiment um, that we were able to do even in this state, which is awesome. So it, in practicality, it does work and widespread defunding. I don't know. I, I can see pretty much only good things happening from that. I definitely I did some research and Camden did come up in my research. They also made like bias tests and increased training. So what they Mm -hmm. did was they fired the entire police department Mm -hmm. and then all the police officers had to go through a rehiring process that did like psyche vows and um, different tests to make sure that they were actually fit to serve in the field and misconduct allegations were actually investigated. I also did hear from, from from a friend, though, that there were some problems. I didn't look into those, but we will post about that. Yeah, on our we'll post. probably have a whole separate post after this episode is released um, just on that kind of information from Camden. Yeah. Okay, so um, we had another question from Alexander. Thank you, Alexander, for your question. He said... What form of education or training do you think should be enforced in police training in order to create less internalized bias and racism in police? So that's a really good question. And I think it's very vital to understanding how our system works as a whole. I think 
education and training you know education at the end of the day we were having this conversation earlier is the key to open so many doors right and i think if you took a look at your police staff one are they diverse you know before you even start education and training are they well qualified are there do they have degrees now i know this might be an unpopular opinion but after doing some research of my own, in most countries, um, police officers are required to have a bachelor's degree, um, and sometimes even higher than that, a master's degree. And I think that America produces a lot of police officers in a short amount of time because we are a very militarized country. Mm-hmm. And if we took the time to truly educate and require critical thinking skills to be very involved in their training, as police officers, we would honestly see just less violence just from that perspective because they're being trained to think more about a situation than just react to it. So there's definitely that aspect, having more education requirements before you're even allowed to apply to be a police officer. And then when you're in like police officer training school, I think obviously, like we said about bias testing, you know, are these people fit to be entered into the school? Do they show a severe bias towards who? Why? You know, psyche valves, things like that. And I think that there's a lot of people are going to say, well, don't you need money to carry out all those things? You have money. But you do have money. The police <laughs> oh, well. department has more money than like any other part yes. of a city. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's like crazy more than our schools, more than our parks, and that's a big deal. So what are they using that money for? Period. You know, like, that's, like, what is happening? So when we're talking about educating and training for policemen, at my school, so I go to school in North Carolina, super rural, rural, rural North Carolina, and one of my friends had a community event where it was a talk between the police and the community. So basically it was an audience of college students and then two officers, a student, the person who was organizing it and a faculty member. And this came up a lot, the whole education and training thing. And from what I've seen, like Emma was saying, policemen do not undergo enough training mm-hmm. and they're allowed to become police officers way too soon. Yeah. I think that implicit bias training is really important, but also just being able to test those in the field. Mm-hmm. Once you go out and you're actually operating as a police officer, I think it's so important that we then evaluate how you do in real life. Yes, in, because, in especially situations where you are dealing yeah. with mm-hmm. racial minorities or people with a mental illness yes. or um, mm-hmm. a gay person, you know, whatever it is. Just anything different from you. Anything different yeah. from a white straight man. And I we need to look, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> These trainings, it needs to be looked on how they're administered because a lot of them can be so classroom-based that mm-hmm. they don't reflect a real-life mm-hmm. situation. 
So when you actually get into that real life situation, you know it's survival. Everything you learn goes out your win- goes out the window. Exactly. Just like when you take a test and you forget all the information. You know, except this type, this test is someone's life. Right. They have trainings, obviously, to for you to become a police officer that are like physical scenarios that they're putting you in, so they can see how you react and act. Especially if you have a weapon or you're taking down a suspect, you know, there is physical training involved to be a police officer. Why aren't, why can't we include racial training into something physical or bias training into something physical? Because that at the end of the day will help all officers be able to handle situations better and understand that like, hey, not everybody reacts the same way people think differently people have mental illnesses you know if you have a schizophrenic person who is having and experiencing a severe episode like you can't just shoot them okay (laughs) you have to de-escalate the situation that is your job you know as an officer is de-escalation and providing safety for the community not to be a threat to the community I completely agree. And on the topic of diversity in the police department, something that those officers did bring up was that they don't have a lot of applicants from people of color. Mm -hmm. But let's look at why. (laughs) Maybe because the worst things are happening. Why don't you have a lot of applicants from people of color? Maybe that's because you kill people of color and they're scared of you. Why would they want someone who is, you know, invading their neighborhoods and senselessly attacking people in the sense like racial profiling and pulling you over because you're black? Mm -hmm. You know, why would they want to support that Mm -hmm. system? Be a part of it. Right. Um, I think that. It's real. So I was at a protest and this guy had a sign standing next to a police officer and it said armed gang members with an arrow pointing towards the police officer. And that is just so true. It is. The police are a cult. They are a gang. <laughs> they are a they gang. They are the mob. They are any type of dangerous group. They're a gang. You know, they really are. One of our like 95 year old residents, I'm not going to say her name, but she's amazing and I love her. And she lives in the second floor in Brightview. And um, she even said um, to one of our coworkers that the police were an armed gang. And I, if she knows, you can know, okay? <laughs> it's really not that far-fetched of an idea. It's not, because there's also this, like, whole mentality of, like, mm-hmm. brotherhood. Yeah. And this old boys club situation you know where everybody helps everybody out and there's a lot of you know sweeping it under the rug and not being honest and you know i don't want an officer who's not honest yeah. because what does that mean for me and i'm white so what does that really tell you mm-hmm. you know so now we spend the time to compile a list of unjust murders that we feel were big catalysts for the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. And we've each done our own research on different people that we want to present to you guys so that you have more education about these really big cases that are staples when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. 
Okay, so we're going to start with Tamir Rice. On November 22nd, 2014, Tamir Rice was playing um, with a toy pellet gun in Cleveland Park. Um, then in a 911 call, the person said um, that a, a young boy was playing with uh, what looked like a gun and a juvenile is pulling this gun out of his pants and pointing it at people. The caller later added that it's probably fake, but the 911 dispatcher never told officers that Rice was a kid or that the gun was likely fake. So that's important to note because the officer went into the situation um, without the proper information. So this was um, like a trickle down issue as well. Um, when the officer arrived on the scene, he immediately shot Tamir Rice, who again was 12 years old. Um, and when he shot him, he died almost instantly. Um, the, they stood around for about four minutes the officer and his partner without providing any type of first aid. An FBI agent um, arrived on the scene and who was a trained paramedic to provide first aid. When he was performing first aid on Tamir Rice, um, he tried his best to resuscitate him, but um, he did not survive the incident. So when the officers were standing around and over his body, his Tamir Rice's 14-year-old sister came out of the house running towards her brother. When this happened, the officer tackled her to the ground and restrained her and put her in a police car. So all of this is a lot of information. It's very painful um, and it's very traumatic. The officer resigned after a report deemed him unfit for duty because he could not properly handle a firearm. But this happened in March 2014. In 2017, he was officially fired from the police department um, without like a true investigation. So the police officer who shot him uh, was judged unfit for police service two years prior to Tamir Rice's death. So two years prior to this entire incident happening, this police officer was judged unfit for police service by a small suburban police force where he worked for six months, okay? He was specifically faulted for breaking down emotionally while handling a live gun during a training episode. His handgun performance was dismal at best, said his prior deputy chief. This is concerning because when he applied for the Cleveland um, police force, they didn't were not aware this is their claim that they were not aware of his prior issues with handling firearms and they were not aware of um any attempts of like him being disbanded from any police institution at all so they hired him anyway and then as this investigation went through after tamir rice's death they were like oh we didn't know that he wasn't fit for duty that's concerning on a lot of levels. This case um, asks a lot of questions about what exactly the police force is doing when they're hiring officers to begin with, right? So that's the first step to becoming an officer is being hired after you're going through your training. Even in his training, he could not, this officer could not handle a firearm properly. And it was apparently not noted and nobody knew about it until well after the death of a 12-year-old boy.
I think this speaks a lot to what it takes to become a police officer. Mm-hmm. There needs to be... How do you not know? How do you not know? Yes. Do you not do background checks? Right. What is the purpose of a background check except to find red <laughs> flags in right. your applicants? So in 2014, the Department of Justice launched an investigation, um, which didn't look at the Rice shooting specifically, but looked at the Cleveland Police Department as a whole. And they found that these officers in the Cleveland Police used excessive deadly force, including shootings and head strikes with impact weapons, unnecessary, excessive and retaliatory force, including tasers, chemical sprays and their fists and excessive force against people with mental illness or in crisis, including one situation in which officers were called exclusively to check up on someone's well-being. Police officers also used poor and dangerous tactics that often put them in situations where avoidable force became inevitable and placed civilians at unnecessary risk. You know, I feel like if they did more investigations like this into other police departments, Mm -hmm. this would also be found. Yes. So, um, overall, this case and the murder of Tamir Rice really elicited a response from the Black Lives Matter community and pushed the moment, uh, pushed the movement um, to, like, heighten at this time. So, someone else that we investigated was Tony McDade, who was a Black transgender male, and he was a suspect in a fatal stabbing in Tallahassee, Florida. Police said that he had a handgun and he was moved to use it against the police, which is their like justification for his shooting. The name of the police officer was not released, but there was an eyewitness who says that the police never tried to de-escalate the situation. Mm. Basically in the quotes, from the eyewitness, he said the policeman got out of the car, shot Tony McDade, and there was no warning whatsoever. So a lot of people will use the fact that Tony McDade was a suspect in a fatal stabbing to diminish the fact that he was shot unjustly, which is, I think, very common when Mm. we have unjust shootings of black people because not everyone is a saint people might have criminal history or may have done something wrong but the bottom line is that that doesn't justify shooting them dead or taking justice into your own hands exactly exactly you officers are not god they no i feel like they tend to pick up this God complex mm-hmm. and feel like they are judge, jury, and executioner, mm-hmm. which is just, I think, very unjust and frankly ridiculous. <laughs> to say the least. He's gonna say. All right. So, our next case you probably know is Trayvon Martin's murder by George Zimmerman. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the story so you understand the sequence of events and why this killing was deemed unjust. So, Trayvon Martin was a 17-year-old boy walking into 7-Eleven in Sanford, Florida. He grabbed a bag of Skittles and a can of Arizona iced tea. He had the hood of his sweatshirt over his head. He walked up to the counter, paid the clerk, and then walked out. So, George Zinnerman, at the same time, was... um, 
a part of his volunteer neighborhood watch. He was also carrying a gun because you can carry in uh, Florida. So there is not a lot of, there was no witnesses to this crime at all. Um, it was just, so that's why George Zinnerman wasn't put in prison immediately. There was no real evidence to say that either party did something wrong. So now we're going to roll back. So George Zinnerman, 28, neighborhood watch, walking through the neighborhood, sees Trayvon Martin and deems him as suspicious because he's a black man wearing child. black child. He was 17 wearing a sweatshirt over his head and walking suspiciously. That's quoted. <laughs> that's quoted. So Zimmerman called the 911 and he is telling the dispatcher that this is a real suspicious guy. He looks like he's up to no good or he's on drugs or something. It's raining and he's just walking around, end quote. The dispatcher asked Zimmerman if he was following Trayvon Martin and Zimmerman said, yes, he was. The dispatcher then said, okay, we don't need you to follow him. Do not follow him. Do not follow him. But of course he did anyway. So Zimmerman is following him and we don't know what happened next. It's a matter of dispute, but um, there was a commotion heard somebody screaming help and then Zimmerman may have used a racial slur to describe Martin on the 911 call as some have alleged and then he was shot. Trayvon Martin is shot by George Zimmerman. The bullet went into Martin's left chest and lodged there. Um, police headed to the neighborhood after the initial 911 call but didn't arrive until after the fatal shot and they found Trayvon Martin face down in the grass. They teamed up to conduct CPR on this teenager, and but three minutes later, at 7.30 p.m., Martin was pr pronounced dead. Um, there was, in the medical examiner's report, found trace ev elements of THC, and but there was no um, equating his levels to intoxication, meaning he just had trace amounts. It, he wasn't high at all. Um, Zimmerman was not taken into custody initially. He was arrested and put in the back of the police car where the officer has noticed that he had a bloody nose and like swelling on his face. In this situation, they said, oh, please like go get treatment, go to a hospital. Zimmerman refused and went home. Um, this is all very strange. Um, the officers say they didn't have enough evidence to arrest him during this time. Um, he went down to the police station, gave a like statement, and then was sent home with his wife after murdering Trayvon Martin. Let's just make that very clear. Um, the investigation into his death um, basically ended in that this was ultimately avoidable by Zimmerman if he had remained in his vehicle, like the 911 dispatcher said, and waited until an officer arrived. Um, but Zimmerman's whole defense during his entire trial was that he was a concerned citizen, a concerned citizen who was trying to protect his neighborhood. This whole case sparked outrage within many communities, um, but Trayvon Martin's death, he's one, the cops should have never been calling him in the first place. It was clearly racial profiling. 
Um, it was nothing else but racial profiling. Anyone who was going to say, oh, he was protecting his neighborhood, that's it's not what happened. Um, Trayvon Martin was 17 years old and had a pack of Skittles in his pocket and was murdered for nothing. Let's just make that clear. George Zimmerman is, by the way, not in prison. He's not in prison. <laughs> just want to make that clear. He also sued Trayvon Martin's family for defamation. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> a lot of thoughts um, that have come to my mind mm-hmm. while listening to Emma recant this event. The first is that it kind of reminds me of the death of Elijah McClain. Mm-hmm. He was, if you don't know, I'm not going to give a bunch of information, but he was a black man who wore a ski mask because he had anemia. Anemia. Um, and it was really cold outside, and police basically assaulted him and killed him even though he was just down the street from his home he fed pigeons and he sung to cats stray cats if you look up his last words they're really heartbreaking yeah they will break your heart i will guarantee it but it doesn't matter that just shows to like show you that it really doesn't matter what type of person you are and it shouldn't matter what type of person you are period the police should just de-escalate the situation as they should be trained to do the next is that maybe if a black man wasn't involved in this um, scenario, the police might have had a faster response time. Mm-hmm. I know that George Zimmerman was the one who made the call, mm-hmm. but response times when it comes to uh, crimes or really any scenario that involves black people is significantly longer than when it includes a white person. Mm-hmm. I was that's, <laughs> that's alarming. Yes, I was. Uh, if y'all listen to J. Cole, no role models. It's very inappropriate, <laughs> but he said he came fast like nine one one to white neighborhoods. Think about that. Think about that. Think about that. White neighborhoods. May not have as much police presence, but they do get more 911 assistance. Maybe because they're not preoccupied harassing people. Exactly. You know. Also, if you watch Boys in the Hood, the police got to the people's house like an hour or more after Mm -hmm. the robbery happened. Mm The next thing is that George Zimmerman was given resources after he just shot Trayvon Martin. Oh, why was he not arrested immediately? I'm still not understanding why he was just released. He came and gave the statement and then was able to go home with his wife. Exactly. What? It was very alarming to me. Advised to get medical attention. And Mm -hmm. this reminds me of the officer who killed George Floyd Mm -hmm. and was given water. But George Floyd had his neck knelt on for nine minutes. Just think about that. Yes. Think about that. Food for thought. Yes. The last thing that I would like to say, and this is food for thought as we go on talking about these um, incidents, is why did the trial of George Zimmerman take Mm -hmm. so long? Mm -hmm. But we'll talk about the Central Park Five coming up. Think, Think about how George Zimmerman isn't even in jail now. Not in jail. And I He's an to- artist, apparently, by the way. What? Yeah, I don't even know how he's allowed to walk around. Oh okay. God. But listen, I'm, I will tell you about the Central Park Five 
I just want you to keep this in mind. Keep this yeah. in mind when we're going over the Central Park Five. The next person that we want to talk about is Althea Bernstein, who is a mixed girl. She was 18, and she was set on fire while driving in Madison, mm-hmm. Wisconsin. So the story behind this is that it was 1 a.m., and she was in downtown Madison uh, driving to her brother's house. There were protests going on. The protesters, it was said that there were about 200 to 300 of them, and they had pulled down two statues, threw firebombs, and attacked a state senator. Bernstein was not involved in this, I would like to say that. She was stopped at a stoplight with her driver's side window down, and she heard four white men, two in black, two in Hawaiian t-shirts, saw a racial slur at her. One took a spray can, sprayed her with what we now know is a lighter fluid, and someone threw a flame lighter at her. Right. Yes. And the f- liquid covered her face and neck. So she patted down the burns and uh, proceeded to drive back to her mother's house where she went to the hospital afterwards. She has second and third degree burns, and her... Um, statement afterwards i found was very sympathetic i couldn't she says that i'm very very hopeful that these men that these men sort of see all the responses and that they know they hurt me and that this is something that's going to affect me for a while and i really hope that they choose to improve themselves wow she's a good person yes i could not be so kind mm-hmm. uh she was also studying to become a paramedic so if you need to um give her credit if you need to establish credit for her she was studying to become a a paramedic paramedic. which shouldn't even matter it really shouldn't shouldn't. have to establish credit for people you know their action was so unjustified there's no way you can look at that and be like i could see from their perspective how could you see how could you're blind she blind if you can see that (laughs) she also said that she didn't know these men Mm -hmm. and the mayor Rhodes conway said that it may have been a premeditated crime targeted towards people of color yeah so a hate crime yes a hate crime it's being investigated now this happened this year it happened maybe like a month or so ago that poor girl i know all right, so the next person that we have on our list is Nina Pop. Nina Pop is a transgender woman. Um, she was 40 years No, she was 28 years old. <laughs> she was 28 years old. Um, and she was found in her apartment in um, Sykeston, Minnesota, for with like seven stab wounds. She was had bled out and died. Now, there's not a lot of information on this case. I will start with that. So I don't have that much to share. But what I do have to share is that um, they have charged someone. He's a 40-year-old suspect named Joseph B. Cannon. Um, He has been charged for the stabbing and death of Nina Pop. Nina, they are thinking that this is a hate crime. That is the assumption. They have not officially had enough evidence to come out and say this was absolutely a hate crime and that it was premeditated. So more information has to come out about this. But her death did trigger state lawmakers to pass a pro-LGBT anti-discrimination act in the state. So I'm just having all these... um analogies this mm-hmm. reminds me of alua toyan salau's 
rape and murder. Mm. Just uh, the demographics of mm. the two victims. Nina Pop was 28. Um, Alua Toyin was 18 or 19, I think. Mm. She was uh, close to 20. I yeah. Think, yeah. And her uh, assailant was 40 as well. That's really it's very sad. Um, They don't know if Nina Pop's death was focused on, you know, the motivation of Joseph Buchanan was whether she was transgender or whether she was black. It's not known. Maybe it was both. You know, you can't really say. Either way. But he has not made, there has not been a statement released about what his motivation was for her stabbing. Either way, awful. whether it was because... No, it was both was, awful. Yes. So terrible. Next, we have the Central Park Five. So, George Zimmerman's trial, he's not in jail. Listen to the injustice <laughs> that I'm about to drop on you. The Central Park Five, this case occurred in 1989, and five men, uh, black and Latino, were convicted in a rape and assault charge of a white female jogger. These people served sentences that ranged from six to over 13 years for attempted murder, rape, and assault. And they were all exonerated and found innocent after one of the men convicted by chance met Matthias Reyes when he was incarcerated, who was a convicted murderer and serial rapist who confessed to the crimes and the men were exonerated after DNA evidence was found. They also said that the conviction of these men was aided by police coerced confessions. And the New York City Police Department denied any wrongdoing in this case and awarded the men a $41 million settlement. I'll give you a little background on the men. The first is Raymond Santana, who was 14 years old. 14. And he was jailed for seven years. The next is Corey Wise, who really gets me. He was 16. He was put in jail for over 13 years. And he wasn't even a suspect. Think about that. He wasn't even a suspect. He was walking with his friend, Yusuf Salam, who was also jailed. He was 15 and jailed for over six years. And he went with his friend as he was getting questioned. And after he was questioned, he was then jailed. So, so far we have Raymond Santana, Corey Wise, Yusuf Salam. Next we have Antron McRae, who was 15 and jailed for six years. And last, we have Kevin Richardson, who was 14 and jailed for seven years. These were children. These were children. They were, I think they referred to themselves as baby boys. Baby boys. Which they were. And their whole story, I think, is being remade in a Netflix documentary. Yes, if you look, it is called The Central Park Five. It's on Netflix. It's been released. Also, When They See Us? Yes. I think that's um, a documentary about this whole incident. Yes. Okay, the next murder we're going to speak about is a Tatiana Jefferson. She lived in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, and she was wrongfully 
and, and unjustly killed by a police officer. Um, so I'm going to talk about exactly what happened. So James Smith, her next door neighbor, at 2.30 in the morning, noticed that a Tatiana Jefferson's doors of her house were wide open and the lights were on. And he thought that was questionable. He's a black man, just for context. Um, and they were very close as neighbors. And so he called the police and um, expecting them to do some sort of wellness check, knock on the door and say, are you guys okay? Because he thought it was abnormal that the house was wide open that late at night. So the owner of the house was Tatiana's mother, Yolanda Carr, who was in the hospital at the time due to a heart condition. So Tatiana was there up late playing video games with her nephew, which was why the house was open and like awake, so to speak. Um, but obviously James Smith didn't know that. He just wanted them to do a wellness check. So Officer Aaron Dean approached the house with his gun drawn. This was not wellness check. This was him going to the house, gun drawn. He approached the side of the house to the back garden, and seconds later, there was a gunshot. James Smith said, when, that, when the bullet went off, I heard her spirit say, don't let them get away with it. So he stayed outside waiting to bring the body out for the entire time. So Tatiana was standing up wondering why there was a man approaching her house. He did not say he was an officer. He did not um, identify himself. He immediately saw her and shot. There was no speaking before this happened. He gun was drawn, shot her. That was that. Her body came out of the house six hours later. So this was a very sad case. Aaron Dean resigned um, that same day or the day after um, because the police department was going to fire him. So before they could fire him, he resigned from the position and um, also formalized an apology to the family. There is a lot wrong with this situation. One, this is a wellness check. Why do you have a gun drawn? Okay, you don't have a gun drawn until you perceive a threat, right? And even if you did have your gun drawn, why aren't you saying, hi, I'm a police officer. This is my name. What are you doing? Are you okay? Why is your first assumption to shoot somebody, you know, in this situation where she was not doing anything wrong. Not doing anything wrong. So what happened was there was footage on his body cam was released. Um, Aaron Dean can be seen walking up to the window of the back house where Tatiana briefly appears. He says, put your hands up, show me your hands. And he has barely finished speaking those words when he fires through the window. And he never declared he was a police officer. The trial has been delayed due to the coronavirus pandemic, so there is no um, like final words for this case, but that is what happened. Again, in case you need to credit her, she was studying medicine. She was saving up, taking care of her sick mother to be a doctor, if, in case you needed that. A lot wrong with this. The first thing that comes to mind is Tony McDade and how the uh -huh. officer just shot him, just like this officer just shot a Tatiana. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that being black is perceived to be a threat on its own. Mm -hmm. 
I don't have to do anything for you to be threatened by me. And if you think that this isn't true, look at literally any case Look at what I just said just now. Look at a Tatiana Jefferson. Look at Tony McDade. Maybe look at anything ever of (laughs) aggressive (laughs) behavior towards black people in general Mm -hmm. and have it be because we are perceived as a threat because of the color of our skin. Maybe don't do that. The next case that we're going to talk about is Emmett Till. Mm. Now, if you don't know about Emmett Till, this happened in 1955, and it was disgusting Disgusting. what happened. And if you are looking for more information or have the time at the African American Museum in Washington, D.C., there's a whole exhibit on this, and it is heart-wrenching. It really is. I've been there. It's really a great uh, exhibit, but it's very hard to walk through. So Emmett Till was a 14-year-old little boy in Money, Missouri, visiting family. It said that he allegedly flirted with a white woman. So basically, he was out with his friends and bragging about how his girlfriend back home was white. So he went in the store to get candy, allegedly, and was heard leaving the store saying bye, baby, to a white woman in there. Now, a couple days, it was four days later, the white woman's husband came back and her husband and brother went to Till's uncle's house and demanded that he get in the car with him. Whoa. Yes. Wow. So he took, they took Emmett Till and it said that he, they made him carry a 75 pound cotton gin fan. Jesus Christ. Yes. To a river. Let me make sure that I get the river's name right. It's called the Tallahatchie River. And there they did a lot of awful things. Trigger warning. Yes. They did a lot of horrible things. They brutally beat him, gouged his eyes out or an eye out, uh, shot him, and then tied him to the fan that they made him carry and threw him in the river. He was 14. He was so disfigured that his uncle couldn't recognize him except for an initial ring. Now, the reason that this was such a catalyzing case is because although his uncle wanted to immediately bury the body, his mother wanted his body sent back to Chicago where she had an open casket funeral. Open? Yes. Open casket so that everybody... Could see what was done to her son. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And there are photos... I think if you look it up on Google, uh, trigger warning, if you're not ready for that, please don't do it. Mm -hmm. But if you are interested, there's a lot of information out there about what happened to Emma Till. That's awful. I can't with that one. (sighs) He was a child. 14. He was a baby. Oh, my God. (sighs) That one's a tough one. It really is. That one's very sad it's a lot of information i didn't even know if i wanted to say everything that happened to him because it's just hard to research to listen to to speak about um but if you're looking for more information definitely look it up on your own Mm -hmm. yeah we encourage you actually to 
look up some of the cases we're speaking about um, and familiarizing yourself with the instances and the circumstances of what happened to these people because that will not only further your education but it will help you understand why this movement is so important exactly the next person is brianna taylor she okay so we're going to talk about the two people who uh, catalyzed the movement today today which mm-hmm. is brianna taylor and george floyd so first we're going to talk about brianna taylor who was killed in her home basically what happened was the police had a no-knock search warrant and they were looking for a house in connection with uh drug crimes and the house, it was the wrong house, first of all. They were at the wrong house, period. Yes, I think the real house was like 10 doors down. Yes. So her and her boyfriend were sleeping in their bed, and the police come in civilian clothes, not announcing themselves at all. And Brianna Taylor's boyfriend picked up his gun and held the gun out. Because what He's else? Defending himself yes. and his home. Not knowing who these random men are in their home. The police fired eight shots into Breonna Taylor's sleeping body. She was studying to become a nurse. She was an EMT already. Mm-hmm. And um, her mother said that she planned to become a nurse and start a family. Just in case you need some accrediting there. Once again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just really disgusting what happened to her. She did literally nothing. She was asleep. Literally nothing. She was asleep. It just shows you it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter. They're just going to, they just came in guns blazing. Mm -hmm. The person they were looking for was already in police custody when they shot Breonna Taylor. So let that sink in. Arrest her murderers. Please. Police arrest her murderers. Arrest them. Arrest them. They are not in prison. They should be. Let's make that clear. Okay. White people get away with too much. Too much. Might I say, too much. especially when they're part of the police force, yeah, get away with too much. Old boys club brotherhood thing really just disgusting. Gets me going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the next and final case we're going to talk about is George Floyd. Obviously, his death was the catalyst for this second wave movement. This is what started the protests in June. This is very important. Okay. So, on the evening of May 25th, George Floyd was buying a pack of cigarettes from Cup Foods, a grocery store. Believing the $20 bill he used to be counterfeit, a store employee reported it to the police. Mr. Floyd was a regular at this grocery store. He was a friendly face, and he actually knew the store owner. He had never caused any problems in the past. But the um, cashier, who was a teenager actually at the time, um, was just doing their job by reporting the counterfeit bill. The bill um, was quote-unquote suspicious. So um, the 911 call call was made at 8 p.m., and the employee told the operator that um, he demanded the cigarettes back from George Floyd, but George Floyd didn't want to do that. The employee also said that George Floyd appeared drunk and not in control of himself. Those are quotes. Shortly after the call, seven minutes later, two police officers arrived. Mr. Floyd was sitting with two other people in a parked car around the corner. 
After approaching the car, one of the officers, Thomas Lane, pulled out his gun and ordered him to show his hand. In an account of the incident, Mr. Lane, Officer Lane, did not explain at all why he decided to draw his gun and why he thought it was necessary to draw his gun. So there's no explanation to why this escalated to a gun so quickly. Once handcuffed, Mr. Floyd became compliant while Mr. Lane explained that he was being arrested for passing counterfeit currency. Court transcripts from police body cameras show Mr. Floyd appears cooperative at the beginning of the arrest. He was cooperating. He repeatedly apologized to the officers after they approached his car. Mr. Lane asks Mr. Floyd to show his hands at least 10 times before ordering him to get out of the vehicle when Mr. Floyd already had his hands in the air. At about 8.15, Mr. Floyd stiffened up, fell to the ground, and told the officers he was claustrophobic. Then Officer Chauvin arrived at the scene. He and other officers were involved in a further attempt to, point, to put Mr. Floyd in the police car. During this attempt, Officer Chauvin pulled Mr. Floyd away from the passenger side of the car and caused him to fall to the ground where he lay there in handcuffs. This is when witnesses were like, what the fuck is going on? They took out their phones because Mr. Floyd appeared to be in a very distressed state. So that's why there's all those videos of um, what happened. So all these mobile phones came out and it was shared on social media and everything like that. Mr. Floyd was restrained by the officers while Officer Chauvin placed his left knee between Floyd's head and neck. For seven minutes and 46 seconds, Mr. Chauvin kept his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck um, the duration was actually originally given as 8 minutes and 46 seconds, which is why there was a lot of like t-shirts and parts of the movement that focused on 8 minutes and 46 seconds. So it's actually 7 minutes and 46 seconds, just like a technical error, um, just to let you know. Um, obviously, Mr. Floyd died because the pressure on his neck, he was a fiscal. Asphyxi asphyxiated. Sorry. Um, yeah, so he was, a, he was that. And then, um, so he was murdered. At one point, Mr. Floyd gasps, um, please, please, pleading for his mother and said, you're going to kill me, man. And then Officer Chauvin replies, then stop talking, stop yelling. It takes heck a lot of a lot of oxygen to talk. Mr. Floyd says, can't believe this man. Mom, love you. Love you. Tell my kids I love them. I'm dead. A female bystander told the police his nose is bleeding. Come on now, get off of him. After six minutes into the seven-minute period, Mr. Floyd became non-responsive and he fell silent. The bystanders asked to check his pulse and Officer Kung did that and said he couldn't find one, yet the other officers did not move from his body. At 8.30, uh, the knee was removed from his neck, motionless. He was taken to a county medical center, and George Floyd was pronounced dead. A lot of thoughts, again, about this death. The first is this common theme that I'm seeing with all of these uh, unjust murders that we've been talking about is that policemen don't feel the need to announce themselves. Yeah, what is up with that? Yes, I think... As I think they feel as if being a police officer gives them the justification to do whatever they please. Mm -hmm. That's back on that God complex, exactly. too. Exactly. Just because you're a police officer does not give you a pass to do whatever you want. No. 
And that is actually, I think, the product of there being no police for the police. Mm-hmm. Police think that being a police officer is the end all be all because yeah. it is. If anything, you know, this just says like this, these people of all people, police officers should be the ones who get guidelines and rules and being watched the most out of any of us exactly. because they have the power that they have. Exactly. So concerning. And this God complex, this sense of pride that all mm. police officers have, I think speaks a lot to the fact that they feel they're disrespected and that can be a reason that a situation escalates so yeah. much. And I think that also plays into why Blue Lives Matter, why Blue Lives Matter people uh, feel so strongly mm-hmm. about the police and why this movement is quote unquote disrespectful to the service that policemen give to the community. Mm-hmm. I think it's BS personally. Also, might I speak about the trauma that just people have in general of having to watch this mm-hmm. on social media. Mm-hmm. The fact that this incident was recorded and put everywhere, and this has been for a lot of them, for mm. Ahmaud Arbery, for yeah. I think Sean Reed, and like the police cam footage coming out mm-hmm. uh, for Rashad, Rashad, Rashad Brooks, yeah. After watching the Ahmaud Arbery video was the first video that I watched. After watching it, I couldn't watch anything else. Yeah. I saw when his body went limp, I turned it off, and I have not seen anything since. I, Out of all of them, I've only watched George Floyd's death, mm-hmm. murder, and um, I could not I could it. not watch it. I wouldn't watch it again. I yeah. won't watch any other video like that ever again. But, you know, it says a lot that we as a community – have to be the ones to record it and say look at this injustice that's happening the fact that we're seeing it on social media just tells you that like the police aren't being policed clearly Mm -hmm. or they would be the ones saying oh look at this huge massive problem and taking care of it immediately and you know disbanding and firing those officers and they should be put in fucking prison for the rest of their lives Also, I'd like to comment on the fact that people were intervening in the situation, yes, which is incredibly important. And you, whoever you may be, <laughs> it is incredibly important that if you see a police officer speaking with, has pulled over, is doing anything with a person of color, a black person of color, mm-hmm. a Latin person of color, any person of color, period, please stop. And watch them, especially if you're white, mm-hmm. because that lets them know that we're out here, we're watching, mm-hmm. we're keeping them accountable for their actions. There's right. not going to be a Trayvon Martin situation where there's no, no witnesses. No, there's going to be witnesses. Exactly. So and we're going to expose it. And exactly. We're show you because police, this is ridiculous. Yes. Please, please hold officers accountable and watch them yes. when they're doing their job, because honestly, they feel like they can do whatever yeah. they want. It's disgusting. Also, for our listeners who may not be in our age group, who might be a little older, I'm sure you know of the Rodney King case um, and the murder of Rodney King. And I suggest that everybody in our age group also looks into that because um, that was one of the first huge cases of um, police brutality that caused um, the L.A. riots and everything like that. So that's like very important historical context. This is not a new event. This has been happening since the police were developed this has always been a thing 
especially because we're only learning about it now because of how big the media, social media, yes. uh, the internet, mm-hmm. video recordings, how big that's become in our society. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Also, what's terrifying, might I add, as a black woman, is that no matter how educated I am Mm -hmm. or what position I hold in society, what comes first is the fact that I'm black. Mm -hmm. Like, to know that no matter what I do to maybe distance myself from the stereotype that black people have, I'm always that Mm -hmm. stereotype. I could be the one who saved your mother in surgery right if you're a cop but you see me you're not gonna know that you're just gonna think i'm some black woman driving a car i mean look at tatiana jefferson she was studying medicine guess who's studying medicine (laughs) like how close to home exactly and it just is so senseless it's so senseless like why is your first response to draw a gun and start shooting de-escalate first Unless a gun is drawn on you and you're being shot at, that's, you know, um, I have so many feelings about that. But Also that the police have kind of been born from fugitive slave catchers. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So awful. Do your research on that as Please. Well There's so much to unpack. <laughs> our whole history, uh, the whole history of the police force has been polluted by um, hate crime. Yes. Let's make that clear. There's a lot that goes into this topic mm-hmm. of defunding the police, police brutality. We can't cover it all now. <laughs> we just wanted to give it you would some... be a much longer episode. We <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just wanted to give you some basic information to maybe kickstart your research or maybe you want to do something to show your support. Please use whatever information we have given you yes. in this podcast. And also, if you're having conversations with people that may not support the movement, may support Blue Lives Matter, may mm-hmm. be a white supremacist, and you're a white person, bring up this. This is your platform. Yes. This is your platform. To This is your opportunity to actually contribute to the movement. Exactly. Okay, like, as a white person, you know, I certainly have family members who may be more reserved when it comes to this topic or may not understand exactly what Black Lives Matter is and are listening to Facebook ads and saying, well, Blue Lives Matter, show support for your police, hashtag repost. Like, (laughs) no, let's talk about why you don't, why you're against defunding the police. Do you even know what that means? Like you need, as a white person, you're responsible for educating your relatives or educating white people in your circle that don't understand what's going on because that's the that's the way you help the movement you know don't just start speaking (laughs) and you know what we should be doing is uplifting black voices to speak on their lives we shouldn't be speaking for them exactly period i think it's this whole movement is a lot more complex than people feel mm-hmm. like it's not about it's not just about supporting the police right that's not what it, let's look at what the police is what the police stand for what the police actually do to people that aren't part of your community mm-hmm. it's about thinking outside of just your life yes you have to change your perspective you exactly. have to you know really start examining why america is the way it is Mm -hmm. and what we're doing to try to change it 
because you think I don't know I just feel like there's so many problems and there are a lot of problems there's I hope this information has um, enlightened you. Yes, ignited something, ignited a fire, yes. made you angry. It should make you angry. It you should be mad. Exactly. Make you feel any sort of emotion is completely acceptable yes. unless it's happiness. Right. Then we or may joy. <laughs> then we have an issue. Unpack that. Um, <laughs> but we thank you for listening. Yes. We thank you for letting us share these injustices. We thank you for giving all of your love and support that you've been giving us since our first release. Follow us at The Cultural Reset on Instagram. There's two L's at the end of cultural, just FYI. Um, We love you. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys have a great week. And reflect on what we just talked about. So much reflection. Reflect. Bye. Bye.